there's this other level of learning that has to happen where people are curious and they're exploring because that's where innovation happens because they're looking at this thing that's way off in this whole other industry and they realize, oh my God, I can apply this in a different way that can make this job better, that can make these people safer, it can make this whole company more satisfied and thriving. Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. Hi, it's Mike with the Portage County Safety Council. I'm here with one of my favorite Ohio BWC employees ever, Carrie Gray. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Carrie, it's been a long time, but I'm so glad you're on because we're doing something a little special, a little unique. Normally, we don't do this type of stuff on a podcast, but we are doing a special preview for the 2022 Ohio Safety Congress. If they've never heard of Ohio Safety Congress, what the heck is OSC 22? Well, Ohio Safety Congress is an event that the Ohio Bureau of Workers Comp puts on every year. And this year, it's going to be an all-virtual event. We're going to be March 9th and 10th, and we're going to have over 40 different sessions. Some of them are going to be going at the same time, so you're going to have options to pick from. And everybody can join this. There is no additional cost to join. So we're really excited about Ohio Safety Congress 22 this year. And I'm really excited about our speaker that we have here today. Uh, I feel very lucky that I found him out there, especially because burnout and fatigue is a big topic that everybody's talking about. So I'm going to introduce Amel. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're going to be talking about. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here and uh, to speak for this upcoming conference. So I'm Amel Cressel. I'm the Director of Learning and Development for the University of Texas at Austin. And I've been doing this specific job for two years now. I've been at UT for 20 years, though. I was doing OE, OE work, organization-effective work before that. And then I started the first learning development office for the University of Texas. And we're all about trying to show the importance of learning and development in the workplace. It's something that is you know, sort of misunderstood in higher education a lot and, and also even in the private sector. So I'm really excited about it. And of course, as the pandemic hit, burnout became a very serious topic that we were you know, talking a lot about. And so we tried to help some people by reaching out and providing them with some resources. So Emil, you're presenting on work fatigue and burnout, why exhaustion in the workplace is different. So give us just like a 30,000 foot overview of where you're going to be talking about at Ohio Safety Congress. Yeah, I, I want to give some context because, you know, burnout's not new. The term burnout, when we talk about it in, in this context, has been around for as long as I've been alive for about 50 some years. And it originally started with, you know, healthcare workers and how they, you know, when you're dealing with people's lives, you have this extra sort of reserve of adrenaline that you can put in and a lot of people, a lot of long hours are put into healthcare. And then people started to realize that people were getting burnt out pretty easily. And then we started realizing, well, it's not just with healthcare, you know, uh, that happens a lot with really any industry where people start to just have, uh, you know, increasing workloads and decreasing resources. And, and so burnout has been a, a very real, real thing in, in a lot of different sectors. But, you know, now with the advent of the pandemic and a lot of other crises that we've been going through, burnout has become a little different. There's this sort of new meaning uh, to burnout when we're dealing with burnout. 
So it's very important that we do talk about it. And I realize that it sort of feels like it's this saturation, like we hear about it all over, but we do need to be aware of it because it's a very real and it's a very debilitating issue. Absolutely. And I work in social services. And so there's something that we're, we're weary of called compassion fatigue. It's really easy to get caught up in that. And it's like a secondary trauma almost. And I feel mm-hmm. like during COVID-19, we're already a stressed society, you know, trying to take the kids to soccer practice, football on top of our work schedule and travel time and all this. Then here comes the pandemic. And even if we weren't, I know initially in the phase, people were losing jobs and different things. And even though I didn't, I started to feel my stress go up and then God forbid you turn on the news, right? <laughs> right. Especially during riots in the street, election year and, uh, you know, wild, wild election. Even we even heard about, joke yeah. about financial stress. Uh, killer hornets, yeah. you know, people are dying, grandma's sick, you know, you're not allowed yeah. to visit grandma. I, I'm like, whoa. And what's funny is I didn't experience most of that personally, but just being exposed to that almost right. created this secondary trauma. And right. I guess like, I think the hard part for employers sometimes is sometimes if, you know, if we're in HR or we're the C-suite, we're kind of looking at this we're like, yeah, but I, we're a workplace. What What's my role in this? Because this is more of a societal problem. But the problem is we still deal with that as employers, right? We still face that. We still face the consequences of employees. So what would you tell employers out there? Like, yeah, you may not have to get involved with this, but here's why you should. Yeah. First, I just want to say, I'm really glad that you brought up compassion fatigue because it it is really important. And although I think it's it's related, it it isn't the same thing as, as burnout. But I think we've seen an increase in compassion fatigue because of social services and counselors having to deal with so many people who are going through burnout, right? And you can only help so many people. And there is this glut of people who need help and it is burning people out and it's causing serious compassion fatigue and we've got to do something about it. That's one thing. Now, in terms of your point about, you know, what we can do as employers, I think that's really important to keep in mind here you know, often we talk about burnout, there's this tendency to try and tell the person who's suffering from burnout that they need to do something, like they need to fix themselves. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's not the person's fault, right? It's the employer's fault. It's the organization's fault. And I don't mean that to be you know, derogatory, but it, what needs to get fixed is the organization, is the team, is the institution that's causing burnout. So yes, you can do things to help mitigate the the feeling of of burnout as an individual, but the root cause is the organization. So that's what I would tell employers is that you have to understand that it's not about just saying you should really try and go meditate and do some yoga. It's great that if you're going to offer those things to your employees, but you got to fix it at the root and you have to create an organization that isn't causing burnout. What are some things that organizations could do to help fix that problem? Because we know it comes, you know, that burnout could come from physical exhaustion, from scheduling, working too many hours, overnight shifts. We know it could come from, you know, it, even on the physical side, vibrations from the machines, noise, all these different things. But then there's a social aspect, right? So there's, you know, and then when COVID hit, like we said, there's this perfect storm of all these different dynamics. But what are some key things the organizations could do to help reduce the burnout of their employees? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to 
get absolutely beat up on this, but it, the the truth is it's at the the most basic level, it's about workload. There are several level levels or levers, right? There's the the workload lever, there's the values lever, there's you know d- just providing meaning and, and justice, those levers. But the primary lever is workload balance. And what happens in a lot of organizations where this is an example, you have organizations that are working on cycles. So they have their peak time of year. And then things kind of slow down. And what a lot of organizations do is they'll staff to just make sure that people aren't sitting on their hands during those slow times. But they're not so much worried about those peaks because they'll figure out that people will just make it work. They'll make it happen because, you know, why, why fix it if, if, if it's not broke? Because people actually are getting work done during those peak times. But what's happening is during those peak times, People are getting burnt out and they're getting sick. And then they're taking their sick leave during those slow times. And you've got to actually staff to the middle. You've got to staff so that during those slow times, you know what you can, there are other things you can do. You can find the work. And my big speech on this is that you need to have learning and development, professional development. So if you have those slowdowns in your cycle, then you need to think about, well, then we need to think about strategically the future. What can we do better? What can we do more of? So that people aren't sitting on their hands, but you're building capacity within your, your, those organizations so that people aren't going crazy trying to find time in the day where they can get all the work done. And I know that's easier said than done. There's a lot of financial issues and people will say, well, I got to make, make ends meet with my, my organization, but it's going to be much more costly. If you're going to have people burning out because replacing those top performers is way more expensive than it is to keep them on staff. And I love the idea of encompassing the idea of professional development in helping to prevent burnout, because that's a big concept that I think a lot of companies miss. I know for me, when I'm consulting on safety with a company, I'll be sitting across from them or sitting virtually with them. And there'll have been a big flux in injuries. And it was like, well, what's going on? Did you have a lot of overtime or did you have lower staffing or what did that look like? And almost every single time it's an issue of, oh yeah, we were working, you know, 12 hour days, seven days a week and, you know, burnout, fatigue, those are going to cause safety issues, just like, you know, they're going to cause all these other issues. And a lot of times we just are, like you said, focusing on the emotional side of it or telling the employee that they have a problem and they need to fix it rather rather than looking at it from a company standpoint. So I love the idea of staffing to the middle. I know you're going to give us a lot of really good tips when you do our session at Ohio Safety Congress. So we certainly don't want to give it all away. But I know you have some resources that you've developed in your learning and professional development. Can you tell us about those? I should say that the suggestion about learning and development isn't just arbitrary. Like you're alluding to, when you are learning, things are better because you're thinking about the future, right? So you're thinking about, okay, I'm, I'm acquiring this knowledge and you're starting to sort of piece the world together and you have this better understanding. And when you are not learning, then things get really bad because as human beings, we just need to be learning all the time. And when we stop learning, then we become stagnant and frustrated and we start to sort of lose meaning in our lives. And so it's very important that you're always learning. And our whole thing with learning development at the University of Texas at Austin is that it's about curiosity and exploration. So often you hear employers will say, 
well, you know, justify how this learning opportunity is directly tied to your current job. And that's training, right? That, and that's, that's important. You got to have training. It's, it's, every job has to have training. But there's this other level of learning that has to happen where people are curious and they're exploring because that's where innovation happens because they're looking at this thing that's way off in this whole other industry and they realize, oh my God, I can apply this in a different way that can make this job better, that can make these people safer, it can make this whole company more satisfied and thriving because it doesn't matter if you're just looking at the way other people are doing it. They can certainly provide good information to you, but true innovation happens when people are exploring and learning on a whole different level. Absolutely. And what role does corporate culture have to play in this? More than just policies and procedures, but how much is it the culture come together? Because it seems like the places I worked in where people got along and actually enjoyed their coworkers and each other's company, the burnout was very rare. And there was places I worked with, it's like people were yelling at each other in break rooms, like literally, and the tension was so crazy. Fights would literally break out after work at bars and different things when they would see coworkers. So it was the tension and the burnout and all these different things going on. It was definitely significantly less in those healthy type cultures. Yeah, you know, it, it is different in the private sector and in the corporate world, but obviously burnout happens everywhere. And I do think that learning development is more advanced in the private sector. They, you know, sort of realize that you have to learn because it's about competition. And so they want, when people are starting to leave, they want to keep people interested, especially with the younger generations entering the workforce. They're all about learning because they're thinking about careers. And so you want to be able to, you know, attract them to their organization. And then if you want them to stay at the organization, you got to keep them learning. That is a, a really integral part of a, a healthy workforce is that learning and development because, you know, top performers are going to want to be learning. They have really active minds. And so if you want those top performers and they're really hungry about knowledge, they're hungry about learning, then you have to be prepared to feed them, right? Because right. if not, they're going to go somewhere else and they're going to find it and they're going to love it there. And that's a really important thing to remember. So in terms of, you know, the, the corporate cultures, I, I think they're moving a little faster. I, you know, I don't want to generalize too much because there are, you know, you know, public sector organizations and even places in higher that are doing incredible things. But I just think that the corporate world has been doing advanced learning development longer than, than we have. And I, I want to say one other thing because of the audience that's listening to this. When you're talking about safety, you're doing training all the time. And so that's really important. And I don't want to minimize that. Because as I say, every job has to have training. I just want to emphasize that there is another level of learning that also has to go on that really keeps people impassioned and intrigued about their lives and what they're doing in the workplace. What degree or what role do you think soft skills plays in that as far as like learning and development? Is it just more technical skills and opportunities that can grow that way? You know, like we talked about, we do safety training and this and that. But from my experience, when you teach people not in leadership roles about leadership, they tend to be better followers and more productive because they get it. They typically understand and they're much more compatible to the culture. So yes. what role do soft skills play in that? I'm really enjoying this conversation. It's just, uh, so when we, we try and um, we're kind of not using the term soft skills anymore. We're talking and you're using the term advanced human skills or human skills. And then when we say hard skills, it's more kind of like technical skills. And so when 
we think about learning development, learning development is all kind of learning, including you know, the technical skills and the training that has to go on. But the other higher level is that's the, the advanced human skills that you know, we, we tend to call the soft skills. So emotional intelligence and empathy and leadership. And in terms of the, the leadership stuff, I think it's really important that people don't view leadership development as sort of this elitist thing. What's happening is when people say, like you were just mentioning, when I have these people go through leadership, they become better followers. My feeling is it's not that they're becoming better followers, it's they're becoming better leaders, right? They're, they're taking what you're, you're telling them to do, and they're knowing how to apply that information, and they're being proactive about doing something better. And they're thinking about it in, in a new way. So even when we call certain things uh, like leadership development, we have to be careful because there are people out there who will shy away from that because they'll think, well, I'm not in a leadership role. Well, it's not about your title. It's not about your position. We all need to think about being leaders and being better leaders. Well, I definitely think we need to have you speaking on more than just burnout and fatigue and more than a just speaking Congress. So you may regret answering my email and saying that you'd be willing to talk at Congress because you are like one of my new favorite speakers. So I, love it. I will warn you there. Um, I could talk about leadership and, and learning development for a long, long time. So I'm happy to help anytime. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Anything else, Mike, that you wanted to bring up or anything else, Emma, that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, if there's just one takeaway, one key takeaway from this podcast, like, you know, we're not going to give them the whole thing, obviously, because you got that safety Congress for that to a whole hour, probably with people. But there's one just simple thing you could tell them if you're listening to this today, I, I would recommend. What would that be? You know, I'll go back to this idea of when you're suffering from burnout, it's not a you problem. It's not a, a thing that is, uh, you know, that you're doing wrong. It's the organization. And I know that might be frustrating to hear because that means, well, then I don't have control over it. And that may be true, but it's about communication and getting your organization to take active steps to fix these problems that have to do with providing meaning and value in the workplace that have to do with workload balance it's not about the individual trying to do something better. You absolutely can't, right? You can get exercise and have a better diet and do meditation and all those things. But the root of the problem, the cause of the problem is the organization. And that's what needs to be fixed. If someone wants to reach out for more information, is there a way they can contact you or some information that we can link to here in the show notes? Yeah, you know, I, I'll maybe we can link to the a website website on the UT Learning and Development website that has a whole list of resources and articles about burnout, what it is, and you know what what organizations can do can to mitigate the effects of burnout. There's a a whole infographic I created, and um, if people want to have other questions and reach out, there's a video uh, on there as well. But my our contact information is there utld at austin.utexas.edu. And we're happy to help. We're not about just helping folks in UT Austin. We're about helping anybody we can reach out to. Great. So if you're listening to this, just click on the show notes section. Most podcast apps do have them. There'll be a link there. Not every podcast app allows links, but most of them do now. I think I know Apple does and all that in Spotify. So you could just click on a link directly to that website below. And so Amol, Thank you so much for joining us. You know, I, I know people are going to listen to this and you're going to get a bunch of calls from safety councils, including me begging you to come out and 
present more on this because this is good stuff. People need to hear this. And, and if you really want different results, you got to try something new. So Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's good to see you. Everybody out there listening. Thank you and be safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.